Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. This is Daniel Chacon, and today my guest is poet Francisco Aragon. He's not only a poet, but he's a translator, essayist, editor, and currently a professor at the University of Notre Dame. He has multiple books of poetry and publications, but today we're going to talk about his latest collection called After Ruben, which are poems inspired by and in dialogue with the great Nicaraguan poet Ruben Dario. Francisco, welcome to Words on a Wire. Well, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. I'm trying to remember when was the the last time we did this, it's been it's been quite a few years, I think. Yeah, I don't know either. I was telling you earlier that uh, this is our tenth year on the air, and my God, I, you know, years pass by so fast now, and uh, that I can't. I'm not a very good judge of time. <laughs> but welcome back, and what a great reason to have you back. This beautiful book, after Ruben, congratulations. Uh, it just came out. Let me ask you, how is it? coming out with a book in the times of COVID-19? Because, I mean, when a book comes out, we promote it, we do readings, we go to bookstores, we fly all over the country, and probably, in your case, all over the world. Um, (laughs) But how are you promoting this book? Well, I was lucky enough to have a pre-publication event in San Antonio the week of AWP. So I actually did manage to sneak in an (laughs) in-person pre-publication launch at the San Antonio Public Library downtown. And it was very special because I I invited some local San Antonio poets to read with me, including Pablo Miguel Martinez, Natalia Trevino, and Rachel Jennings, who are fellow Macondistas. Mm -hmm. So I managed to do that, and then we did a panel with Red Hand Press authors, where I read from the book for that. And then I just had to sort of reinvent the book tour. I was supposed to be on the road the entire month of May on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And so what I ended up doing is uh, becoming very adept at at sitting on my living room sofa, staring into my webcam (laughs) and and, and, uh, reading uh, for a virtual audience. And I actually... uh, I, I've actually quite enjoyed it. I've done I've done quite a number of readings. I slowed down a little bit. I did the, I think I did my last one in early July, and I'm gonna I'm ramping up again starting September 30th. I'll be doing like another three or four. So, in some regards, there has been a book tour of sorts. It's just been virtual, and one of the most interesting experiences is that because of the format. And because anyone in the world can tune in, like one of the most meaningful ones I did, there was there was a magazine in, in the United Kingdom called Magma that was guest edited by this Latinx Argentinian-born poet named Leo Bosch. And he invited me to submit a poem, and he interviewed me. And the original, the original uh, launch was supposed to be at the Tate Gallery in London, but then it pivoted to a, to a Zoom event, and therefore, he invited me to participate. And so I was able to participate in this, in this event that had writers uh, in England, and we had audience members on three continents. Wow. So that was pretty cool, the idea of, of, of being able to share work with audiences f- from all over. Right. So that so, has been... That is, which yeah. also means that you can actually do readings in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> 
or or one of those or one of those virtual screens that people put up in the back right, in the yeah. background. Those, right. those are those are popular too. Although my my computer for some reason can't do that. Yeah, you know. So what so what you see in the background when I when I was sheltering in place in Arlington, Virginia, was this print of the New York Public Library was sort of my backdrop. Oh, that's nice. Maybe people thought yeah. you lived there, right? <laughs> Well, that that is, that so that's is something been, that, yeah. that's that's new for uh, for all you know for a lot of writers coming out with books and having to do these virtual readings. And of course, the disadvantage is that when you do a reading, people want a book signed, and they'll they'll stand in line to get your book signed. You you, you yeah. sign books, and usually those who are at your readings are enthusiastic lovers of poetry, and and they're getting in line to buy your book because they loved what they heard, and they're going to spread that word. But virtually, you can't do that, and I'm wondering. That's been a cha- that's been a challenge. A, a handful of the readings, for example, I did one at Richard Hugo House. I was supposed to do a reading in Seattle in person at Richard Hugo House, but we we pivoted to an online event, and we partnered with a local bookstore there called Open Books, a poem emporium. Mm. And one of the things we did with them is ahead of time. I signed some adhesive book plates and mailed them to the bookstore ahead of time. Right. Now, I don't know how effective these gestures are. My sense is they're not as effective as we'd like them to be. But on occasion, we partner with the local bookstore. We really try to plug supporting local bookstores and maybe purchasing a book online. But I don't know whether or not those gestures really yield book sales. Right, right. We'll have to see. Well, it's, yeah. it's tough, especially what happened when the lockdown came in April and March is a lot mm-hmm. of the big publishers and a lot of the independent publishers even, and, I, and I'm not going to include self-publishing, although there's a lot of self-published work coming out these days, but a lot of the publishers yeah. held off publication dates. And then in September, suddenly were flooded with with hundreds and hundreds of books coming out every day because they just figured well it, you know we got to put it out sometime and so the competition yeah. now just seems just just to be heard for your book to be heard but this book is doing pretty well in terms of getting some attention i read the re, the uh, interview you did on the rumpus uh huh. Uh huh. Brilliant. And uh, what else are you doing? I understand you're having a big event coming up. Well, normally, and under normal circumstances, um, I would be I would be doing a, an in-person event here at the Notre Dame campus. Whenever a faculty member has a new book out, we always, in collaboration with the Creative Writing Program, we we organize an event. So I was slated to do an event in November, but uh, I decided, you know, to still do something, but do it. Um, virtually. Mm-hmm. And what I decided to do, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of people who do book launches now, they, they invite, a, they invite a, a, a fair number of other writers to, to, to launch the book with them and read you know, snippets from their own work. Right. Uh, so what I'm doing is I've invited four writers. I've invited actually the fiction writer, Michael Nava, oh. the writer Maria Melendez, oh. the poet critic Urayawan Noel, and Chicana poet Brenda Cardenas. These are people that I've had a long time connections with, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically I'm going to be, be sort of the MC. I'm going to I'm going to do I'm going to introduce them each individually, sort of a, a more personal introduction, highlighting the the friendship and the trajectory that we've had as as colleagues, and then I'm going to invite them to each read for five minutes from their work. Brenda and Urayawan will read poetry, and Maria Melendez and Michael Nava will be reading from murder mystery fiction. Mm. And after they read for five minutes, they're going to spend a few minutes talking about After Ruben, 
and then they're going to invite me to read one poem. So I'll read, I'll read a total of four poems, but the motto will be, one of them will read, they'll talk about Ruben, I'll read one poem, and we'll repeat that motto four times. Oh, that's so it should make for an interesting variety for, for audience members. And, you know, they'll get to hear poetry, and they'll get to hear right. some prose as well. Yeah, I say that. And, and, and Maria Melendez is, is is working on a on a murder mystery novel right now that she's just about finished with, and so she'll be reading from that. And Michael Nava will be reading from one of his Henry Rios mysteries. I, I say that format you're explaining is brilliant because I think that we have to rethink as writers the way we read at a public event because where people are in front of their computers and if they're in front of their computers, they're getting messages. If, they, if there's a text, yeah. you know, there's a text coming across their screen. There's all these pop-ups. There's the ability to go on CNN.com and read the latest uh, mm-hmm. uh, tonterias of our president. I mean, there's just so much to distract that I think it's probably happening. And clearly that's what you're doing. You're keeping them short Go on to another yeah. one. Five minutes. Go on to another one. That's and and so. After so my that, event is going to be October twenty eighth. October twenty eighth. So there's plenty of time to save the date. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and after that, of course, the the show is is podcast. But if people are interested, um, I know I am. How do we go about finding this uh, this event? Well, I'll be putting. I mean, I'm actually commissioning an e flyer that's being designed right now, but it's going to be on social media. It's going to be basically at Red, Red Hen Press is going to handle the tech. Mm-hmm. The platform is a, a platform called uh, StreamYard. It'll be simultaneously broadcast on Facebook Live, Red Hen Press's Facebook Live page, and also Red Hen Press's YouTube page. So you'll have two options, okay. and I'll be publicizing it so as the date gets near. What I'm finding is. both as a spectator and as a participant, that it doesn't make sense to publicize it too far in advance because people just forget. And I I think as we we get closer to the date is when I'll start to publicize it more. So in the latter half of October. Make sure you send me uh, a copy of that flyer and I'll uh, distribute it among our our listeners. I'm talking to Francisco Aragon, who just came out with a new book of poems and, and prose called After Ruben. And when I first picked this book up, I don't know how I knew it, but I knew you were talking about Ruben Dario. And, uh, but I love the title because I wasn't sure what it meant af- you know, after Ruben, Ruben. Did it mean, you know, I come after Ruben? Did it mean uh, like the, the poetic form of, of writing a poem after uh, uh, the style or uh, responding to a particular poem from a writer? But uh, it's, it's a beautiful book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why, why Ruben Dario, why he's so important to you that you would write a book with him at the center, really? Well, as a child, you know, being, being the son of Nicaraguan immigrants growing up in San Francisco, uh, I have very indelible memories of, of, of my mother reciting snippets of Ruben Dario. Uh, and so when I first got interested in poetry in high school, I began to read him in translation and he's always been just in the background. And then, of course, when I learned Spanish formally and was able to read him uh, in the original, he just has always been a touchstone for me. In terms of the title, uh, it's all those things you mentioned, but also there's nod to the San Francisco-based poet uh, Jack Spicer, whose very first book was called After Lorca. And this poem, this book is sort of in conversation with his book because 
like my book, his book also included, quote, translations of Lorca, some of them real, some of them completely fabricated. <laughs> he even has an introduction to his book by Garcia Lorca. Garcia Lorca pens the introduction wow. to his book from the grave. So there's always this, there was <laughs> this playful, playfulness to the book. And I just thought, given that one of my poems is also penned from someone, in this case, Ruben Darío, from the grave, I thought that after Ruben would make an apt title, keeping in mind uh, uh, Spicer's, Spicer's uh, book as well. And you quote Spicer at the beginning of this book, and the quote is, you are dead and the dead are very patient. But the yeah. first part of this is poetry, and then you have an essay, which is essentially talking not only about the poems in this collection, but also about the, the significance of Dario and a discovery that was recently made uh, in, in going through his, his letters, which, of course, which we'll also get to. And then you have 10 poems by Dario himself in the original Spanish. Why did you include those? And by the way, I'm glad you did, because I loved reading your, quote, translations and then the original. They, it, it made it for a very, very interesting reading. But why, why did you organize the book in this way? Well, starting with the, the Spanish language appendix, I'm glad to hear you say that, because I think you're proving what my intent was. Because the translations in the body of the book are so unconventional, and in some regards are riffs and rewrites, I wanted to give the reader the opportunity, especially the reader who could read Spanish, to be able to read the poems at the end in Spanish and then see what I did with them in English. So it was more a matter of convenience. On the other hand, the other thing I've noticed, and I addressed this in, um, in an interview I recently did with the Rumpus, and I like the idea of sharing space with other writers mm. within the confines of a single book. My previous book, Glow of Our Sweat, began to do that as well. I also included some, a handful of translations, and I included the Spanish originals as an appendix. So I like this idea of creating not so much a collection of poems, but a community of poems. And also the idea of dialogue between the living and the dead. And I think by having the, the poems uh, in proximity to one another fosters that, that idea. In terms of the essay, I really, the essay was really an excuse to address the whole Amado Nervo Ruben Darío letters uh, polemic. And uh, I just wanted to figure out a way to address that in an essay. But it also gave me an opportunity to talk about Ruben Darío through three different lenses, through my mother, the first part of the essay, sort of my mother's Ruben Darío, and then through my father, which is where I talk about coming upon the poem Motivos del Lobo, which he introduced me to over 20 years ago. And the third part of the essay is to address the Amado Nervo letters. In 2012, Arizona State University Libraries issued a press release in which they announced the acquisition of a private archive of Ruben Darío papers. The archive consisted of about 900 pages of poetry, short stories, and correspondence. And among the correspondence that was discovered were nine letters penned by Ruben Darío that were addressed to Amado Nervo. Now, what Ruben Darío had the habit of, after he would mail a letter, he would actually pen 
let's call it a copy of that letter for his own personal archive. And that's what these letters are. And the scholar, Alberto Acereda, who is a Spanish professor at ASU and is one of the most eminent Ruben Darío scholars in the world, is the person who has written about these letters. And when I learned about this, it was just, it, it felt seismic to me. And I decided that I wanted to see if I can write an epistolary poem in the voice of Ruben Darío to address to Sergio Ramirez, because shortly after this press release was issued, Sergio Ramirez wrote a piece that he published online in which he renounced these letters as, as being fake. And so a, a controversy, you might say, uh, erupted around this whole idea of Ruben Darío possibly having had a, a same-sex relationship with, with the Mexican poet uh, Amado Nervo. And so that became sort of the catalyst for one of my book's most important poems, which is an epistolary poem in the voice of Ruben Darío to Sergio Ramirez addressing this issue. Why do you think not only Sergio Ramirez, but perhaps others were resistant to um, the possibility, the very clear possibility that uh, Darío was gay and had a lover in Amado Nervo? Yeah, um, Alberto Acereda, although he doesn't come right out and say it, because he does write a res- not a, not a direct response to not a direct response to Sergio Ramirez, but he does suggest that there may have been some homophobia, without c- coming right out and accusing him of it. But I, I think that that's part of part of the reason. Yeah. It's reminiscent of this story has repeated itself. Ian Gibson, Garcia Lorca's biographer, encountered the same kind of resistance early in his career when he was writing about Lorca. The Lorca family was really resistant in addressing that aspect of Lorca's biography. Even though there's been a lot of progress in in the struggle against uh, homophobia, I think that sometimes we have these iconic figures that we put up on pedestals and we, at least a certain segment of the population, doesn't want to uh, change that story or complicate that story. But in Alberto Acereda's words, um, this just makes for a more interesting and more rich and complex human story, in my view. Yeah, yeah, and it also makes me wonder where the opposition came more strongly. Was it of the those who loved uh, the poetry of Amado Nervo or those who loved the poetry of Ruben Darío? Because I know Nervo is a Mexican poet and wrote a lot of love poems. I'm wondering, you know, how much resistance there was to that idea. Well, when I lived in Spain back in the 90s, I had already heard among my literary friends about about Amato Nervo. That wasn't a big secret. That was already known in certain circles. That wasn't news. But Ruben Darío was news. That was never, you know, that wasn't really known. So I think it was primarily from the Ruben Darío camp that there was a lot of resistance because this was new information. And so this scholar, not well, I guess he was a novelist, one that you deeply admire named Sergio Ramirez, uh, came out with that uh, declaration that these are false letters. And you responded by writing a poem in the voice of Ruben Darío. Can you talk a little bit about that poem? And then when we end the show, I'd love for you to read it. It's, it... Sure. Sure. Well, Right around the same time that this story broke, a poet friend of mine from the Bay Area invited me to submit to a journal he was starting. The only requirement was that the poem had to be an epistolary poem, a letter. And it was just a happy coincidence that this story broke, and then I got this invitation to write an epistolary (laughs) poem. 
And so it just seemed like the perfect storm. I thought, okay, here's my poem. But what happened was that initially, I was going to write an epistolary poem in the voice of Dario, but I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll write it. It'll be a, it'll be a, a secret a, a, a letter in the voice of Dario, maybe addressed to Amado Nervo. But w- while all this was happening, without, while I was thinking about this, that's when Sergio Ramirez published his piece. And so that's when I pivoted and decided, ah, okay, it'll, the letter will be addressed to Sergio Ramirez <laughs> and not Amado Nervo. And so it was just a series of happy coincidences. And so what I did was that Sergio Ramirez, whose, whose work I love, he wrote this wonderful novel back in the mid-90s, 1990s, called Margarita Está Linda La Mar. And Curbstone Press published a translation of that, of that novel called Margarita, How Beautiful the Sea. So I got a, I'd read the novel in, in Spanish back in the 90s, but I decided to go ahead and look at the English translation of the novel. And I had forgotten, because it had been a while, that there are two beautiful passages in the novel that depict two homecomings that Ruben Dario experienced, one in 1907 and the other in 1916. And they are vividly depicted and the one in 1916 is when he goes home to die, basically. Mm. And so that became a way of, in some regards, paying homage to, to Cesar Ramirez's prose artistry uh, in the voice of Ruben Darío. And then, and then from there, a segue into the whole controversy. So the poem sort of starts as a, as a praise poem to Sergio Ramirez as a, as a novelist, but then pivots into sort of a gentle reprimand of him uh, trying to say that these letters are fake. And so Ruben Darío from the grave basically right. tries to set the record straight once and for Have all. Have you sent this poem to Sergio Ramirez? He should read it. <laughs> Well, I, I want to figure out a way to get the book into his hands, because I'm sure, yeah, I, but I just haven't figured that out yet. Can you read the poem? Sure, sure. So the poem, I have a little bit of a head note. Actually, our chat so far is the head note, so I don't, have, I don't have to read the head note, so I'll just dive right in. I titled the poem January 21st, 2013, and the significance of that title is that that happens to be the date of Obama's second inauguration, at which Richard Blanco, the first openly gay Latino poet to read at a presidential inauguration, read his poem. So there's a little bit of a coincidence oh, there. Good. I was going to ask you about that date in particular. That's, that that yeah. definitely makes it more meaningful. Well, please read it. January 21st, 2013. Dear Sergio, your depiction... In Margarita, how beautiful the sea, of my homecoming to Leon in 1907, once again filled my arms with bouquets that dampened my silk suit, baskets of flowers and fruit, which I accepted with a nod, though leaving them in the hands of my entourage, a cambric handkerchief wiping the sweat dripping down my face and neck. And as I opened a path for myself, village folk pressing around, their lips at my sleeves, a little boy with curly hair led the way, clutching the flag of Nicaragua. I loved how you had Momotombo years later in 1916 blow moments after I drew my last breath. 
the volcano producing a deep rumbling, sending people into the streets, a spatter of sparks lighting the sky. I wasn't aware, of course, of what came next, your novel placing me there in that room, the doctor's scalpel blinking like a star in the moment it traced the incision on my forehead, my scalp folded back, the saw's fine teeth biting into cranium, he feverishly snipping ligaments holding in his hands, my brain seconds later proclaiming, here it is, the private vessel of the muse is. More than cringe, I blushed, filled with such care. Perhaps you're surprised by this letter? You shouldn't be. Anything is possible in this racket of ours. But artful is not how I describe that piece you penned last November. You see, those letters to Amado were real. I bargained with myself, rewrote them to preserve them precisely because I knew what would happen. You know as well as I. He would have destroyed them after reading them. What will people say? He with wife and children held sway. I was in New York shortly after New Year's in 1915, heading home when I wrote to him one more time. But you were right, and I'm mildly embarrassed to admit it. I told a little lie on those sheaves of hotel after stationery in Times Square. The poem I enclosed wasn't composed in Barcelona expressly for him. It was a piece of juvenilia, I know, but one I had a soft spot for, and which I retitled and dedicated to him. It was a running joke between us, sending each other our fluff. And yet it's ironic, Sergio, thank you for being complicit, for hinting at my understory. How did you manage to nail those final hours? I was indeed lying, curled up on my side, wrapped in a thick gray blanket, snoring lightly, my mouth slightly open as my fingers gripped the silver crucifix that Amado, yes, Amado Nervo, had given to me in Paris when we shared that apartment in Montmartre and that I always carried with me. I'd like to think that somehow you knew and know this truth. I'm waiting for the day when you, the world, stop fighting it. I am dead, and the dead are very patient. Love, Ruben. And what a way to end that poem with that Spicer quote. (laughs) 
brings it all together. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I love about this book, After Ruben by Francisco Aragon, is the book has, you could read it, enjoy the poems, but it comes together and uh, it it connects and it, it's... Uh, it's 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 a it's it's a great 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 book. Thank you for uh, joining us on, on Words on a Wire. I wish you the best. Of thank luck. you. My pleasure. I'd like to thank my guest Francisco Aragon. I'm Daniel Chacon. Thank you for joining me on Words on a Wire, and thank you everybody at KTEP for the fantastic job that you do keeping us on the air. See you next week.